Greetings, our Jackson home listeners. You're about to hear about the early days of rock and roll and about the life of one of Jackson, Tennessee's most famous residents, W.S. Holland. Kevin Adelsberger and I had so much fun with him that we've made this episode a two-parter. So after you've listened to this first installment, keep checking back with www.ourjacksonhome.com and on our Facebook page, where we will share part two of our W.S. Holland interview in the days ahead. Because it's one for the money, two for the show. Three to get ready, now... Welcome to our Jackson home, Front Porch Conversations without the Front Porch. You know, Kevin, when when you heard me, uh, when you told me, actually, who we were going to interview today, this just one thought crossed my mind. What was that, Jim? It was one for the money, two for the show, <laughs> three to get ready, and we go, cat, go. We are in the home of a living legend, aren't we? we are. That we are. When I came to Jackson, I was... Um, I went to the Rockabilly Hall of Fame oh, yeah. with my life group, and went and we went and line danced. And let me tell you, that was super embarrassing for me. I'm not good at line dancing, but on the drums was I was told. Now over there is a, is a Jacksonian who used to play for Carl Perkins and Johnny Cash, and he's playing here right now. Yeah, you might have heard of him before, listeners. Johnny Cash, Carl Perkins. You know, look him up. You look yeah. him. Um, and so when we were look, we were brainstorming about some guests for the show. Uh, this man came into my mind. We emailed his his people, and and W S Holland has graciously welcomed us into his home this afternoon, and is uh, I am sitting in the presence of rock royalty uh, to talk about his life. Well, boys, it is my honor for y'all to be here, and. I'm going to tell you what, I really like you guys right off the bat. Here. <laughs> uh, so, so one of the things we love to talk about is on the, on the podcast is where did you come from, Mr. Holland? You, you were telling us just before we got started, you weren't born in Jackson, but it didn't take you very long to get here. I came from a, a little town a little bit south of here, down on the Tennessee River called Saltello where I was born a long time ago. <laughs> and, uh, my dad passed away when I was 10 years old. He was, he was a farmer, mechanic, and never was sick a day in his life, mm-hmm. never even thought about being sick. Came home from work one afternoon and just ate supper, and it was supper then, nap, dinner, you know, <laughs> and, and just passed away. And my mom, a few years later, met a, a fellow that was from Bemis, Tennessee here. I've heard of that, yeah. He, he worked for the uh, as a carpenter for the Bemis company, and they got married, and then we moved to Bemis. Okay. And now it's Jackson. Yeah, it's South Jackson. It's I've only Bemis, known it as South yeah. Jackson, so. And and that's kind of uh, it's everything about what's happened to me is kind of a fluke thing. That's the reason I have the nickname Fluke, mm-hmm. even on my website. Yeah. Ron said, we got to put WSFlukeHolland.com so everybody in Europe and all over the world will know who you are. They know me more by Fluke. Uh, one reason is because of so many Fluke-like things that's happened. Mm-hmm. 
beginning back then. It's like that's the same time period that Carl Perkins and his brothers and family were moving from a little town about 50 miles north of Jackson. And that's where we all met, Carl and his Clayton and Jay and me. And then in 1954, another fluke thing happened. I was going to some of the places where the boys were playing. Mm-hmm. I was just out of high school, had a good job with the air conditioning company and driving a Cadillac car. Oh. And I'd go to some of the places they were playing, and for some reason, I don't know why, another fluke thing, mm-hmm. on some of the up-tempo songs that they would do, <clears throat> I'd walk out beside a Clayton who played upright bass. Mm-hmm. And just keep time on the side of the uh, side of the base. Okay. I don't know why I would do that. Like most of the songs they did was uh, uh, Hank Williams songs. Okay. And like a small clubs and they'd standing in the corner, no bandstands, and he'd do a kind of up tempo song like a Hey Hey, good looking something. Mm-hmm. Like. I just walk out and keep time with the. I don't know why I did that. One Saturday night, Carl said, uh, we got an appointment with Sam Phillips Thursday. Borrow some drums and go with us. <laughs> I said, man, what would I do with a drum? He said, you keep time on the bass. You could play drums. I go the next day, find a fellow. I'd heard of him. His name was Slick Glisten. Finally met him Sunday afternoon. I told him I wanted bars and drums. <laughs> and he, he said, for what? I said, I want to go to Sun Records with Carl Perkins Thursday to play for Sam Phillips to get a recording contract. And Slick said, well, you can't play. <laughs> I said, if you let me borrow your drums, I'll be playing by Thursday. He let me have them. Went out to my mom's house and set them up. I never had seen a drum set up. Never even thought mm-hmm. about playing in any, any kind of band. The schools I went to didn't have bands. Mm-hmm. And I set the drums up. What the drummers found out later, they called me backwards. But I set them up with a hi-hat on the right side. Because huh. I thought if I'm going to be playing it, it needs to be on the right side. Yeah. I found out later that... They thought I was backwards, hmm. but I still think they're backwards <laughs> because I swear I still play. Yeah. But anyway, we got in my car, drove over to Memphis Thursday morning, went in, played a song for Sam Phillips. He liked it. He liked what he heard that day, and we got a recording contract. So then went on. back later and did the blue suede <laughs> shoes. So, Jim, <clears throat> did I hear this right? <laughs> yes. W S. You never played, you had never played drums like previously, and you got in a car with Carl Perkins and a borrowed drum set, and you went to Sun Records, the legendary Sun Records, and you guys got a contract. That's what happened. You'd think. <laughs> That's amazing. Now that you've heard about <laughs> Sam Phillips, you'd think he would have been smart enough to run me out of the building. <laughs> think about showing up a, a musician today at a recording session. And you had no idea what you were doing. For example, a while ago when you did Blue Suede Shoes, see, I thought of this. <clears throat> of course, now, Blue Suede Shoes was our third record. We thought we'd learn to play by then. Mm. But it's a mistake 
on the intro of Blue Sweat Shoes because I, I didn't know the correct way to count. Uh, I could count to four, and that's about all I knew, one, two, three, four. But if you listen to Blue Sweat Shoes, the intro you just did, one for the money is a little pause there. You could actually go get a hot dog, come back, <laughs> two for the show, another pause. Then three to get ready, go, cat, go. Then we got into the tempo. But it was supposed to have been one for the money, two for the show, three to get ready, go. But one for the money, two for the show. <laughs> so we didn't know what we were doing, and I'm so glad. <laughs> See, that's what I, what I really love about that story is people will say, well, yeah, he was the W.S. Holland. He was the Carl Perkins. Back then, no one knew it was going to be the Carl Perkins. No. It's just a bunch of good old boys doing what they love to do, and that's why you, that's how you follow a dream. Don't worry about it. People say, hey, you're doing it wrong. You can't do it. Just go out and do it because you love it. Well, you're, here's what I've discovered in all the years. Me and, and Ron and the guys and, and Gator and Jimmy talk about it a lot. When you talk about the right or wrong way to play music, it's, it's just there is not a wrong or a right way. You can mm -hmm. sing any song just about and play it any different way. Mm -hmm. Like most of the music nowadays, it's changed from when we started in the 50s. Most of the bands, especially drummers, they, they hear the one and the three more. And you could play that on on uh, uh, Johnny Cash's Walk the Line, like da 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 da. You could play it like we did on the on the uh, two and a four, or you could play it. I keep a close watch on this heart of mine. Mm. You know, you can mm -hmm. play it any way you want to. Mm. But back then, the way we played it, it was just the beginning of that style, and it was the only thing people had heard. Oh yeah. I remember later, years later when I began to hear I, a good friend of mine, Buddy Harmon, was one of the great drummers of all times, and he was on a session like Roy Orbison's Pretty Woman. And the, it was in the 60s, and the beat had begun to change, like, Pretty Woman, da, da, da. you know. And I heard, I said, what in the world is wrong with Buddy? <laughs> it's just a style for everything. So, so on our way over here, Jim and I were talking about how the Beatles, you know, everybody points to the Beatles as their influence, but the Beatles point to you guys as their influence. Who did you guys, uh, who did you guys, who has influenced you guys musically? Well, see, I was lucky, and we was lucky. I never thought about playing music, never even mm -hmm. listened to, to it, didn't know what was going on, so I... I, I wasn't, there wasn't anybody for me to, to be influenced by. So you were just doing your thing. I just I, I just happened to do that. That's mm -hmm. and, and I didn't know anybody else was doing it. Mm -hmm. Later I heard about, you know, some of the players, but it, it didn't have anything to do with me doing what I did because I, I didn't know it was happening. That's So if you think about just the perspective there, you kind of came at it and you started doing your own thing and then there's all these people down the line yeah. that have that have you know they they might not realize that 
they might be basing off the Beatles, but the Beatles are basing off you guys. And it's just like, oh, yeah. it's amazing how you got, how that one, the, the fluke is such a perfect nickname, you know, that yeah. that one thing has influenced the course of music history still to this day. Well, I never would have thought of anything happening like it's happening now. <laughs> like you guys even want to come here and talk about something that I did all those years because it wasn't anything that we actually planned or even thought about while mm-hmm. we were doing it. It's it's like the the million dollar quartet session. Yeah, uh, you probably know all about it. Well, uh, I would love to hear There's a Broadway it. play now. Mm-hmm. Well, th- what happened? We Carl and his two brothers and I was back in the studio in '56 to record the song after Blue Suede Shoes okay. Matchbox for the next release. The reason Jerry Lee was there, Sam had hired him to play piano with us. Mm. And in the middle of the session, John and Elvis just dropped in. <laughs> they We'd met in the year before and, and played a lot together in 55. And they heard we were in town and just dropped by to say hello. And then they, when they got through, they left. Nobody thought anything about it. Mm. Sam did think to call a photographer. Mm. And Jack Clement left the recorder running, mm-hmm. went next door to get a sandwich he didn't think nothing about it so it was just things that happened that we didn't even realize or it, it didn't become famous till years later mm-hmm. people ask me now when i'm out with cambria doing a dealer event they'll ask <clears throat> they'll ask me said man what was it like being in the studio in 1956 with all those big stars because now that that's a broadway play it's a real big deal yeah and I say, hey, I wasn't in the studio that night with any big stars. There were no big stars there. I didn't know a drummer couldn't be a big star back then. Mm-hmm. And the thing I was concerned about, it was the time that Sam Phelps had to start keeping time and pay Union Scale for a session. <laughs> and Union Scale was $11. And I just wanted to get my $11. So <laughs> we didn't think a lot about things that were happening back then. You know, not only is that a piece of musical history, if you get the chance, listeners, um, I was I bought a copy of the CD version of the Masters of that session, and if you listen closely, you can hear the secretary coming in and talking to people. You can hear all of a sudden, uh, you guys are playing rockabilly music, a couple of uh, uh, rock songs, and all of a sudden it switches to your singing hymns, and you get a real idea of who these guys were as people, more than just artists. There's an organic nature to this that I feel like doesn't really doesn't exist as much nowadays. Yeah. I kind of kidded Sam Phillips like, since you've heard that thing. You you know nothing is really all that good. We didn't have any idea what anybody was going to play next. But later, when they all become big stars, I kind of kidded Sam. I said, Sam, man, if you'd have really known what you was doing when you called the photographer, you've had him to pan over about three feet I would have been in and it would have been famous <laughs> um, Mr. Holland uh, so you so you reside here in Jackson tell us about your family because we, we want to hear about you well in 1957 we was in a big time I was with Carl Perkins we were traveling all over the all over the country in the big time had the big hit blue sweat shoes i'd come in 
<clears throat> off tour for three or four days, and I met Joyce. She worked at the telephone company, and I would go by and get her at night when we get out. We'd go around some of the places. That's one of the trips when I met Carl Mann, who did the Mona Lisa record later. Mm-hmm. But in 1960, I, uh, I thought it was all over in the music world. It seemed like Sam had made all the money he wanted to make, kind of closing down Sun Records. And Carl and, and Clayton and Jay and me, we'd spent all of our money. I was driving around Jackson, a big, long Cadillac, three payments behind. And I met Joyce. She had a good job. She had a car paid for a house paid for, and she finally talked me into marrying her. <laughs> and that was in 1960, and we have had 55 great years together and two great daughters and a granddaughter and a grandson and now a great-granddaughter. Oh, wow. So finally, all these years, we are great. <laughs> The fluke is still strong. <laughs> and we're so lucky. Uh, of course, the, the, the granddaughter, Lindsay, married a boy in Nashville. He's, he's going to be an attorney, and they live in Nashville, in the granddaughter. But Kim and Chris and uh, Joyce and, 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 uh, and, and you met one of the famous people here, uh, the dog that liked to <laughs> got you. So well, we're well, all still here in the same house just having a great time. Amen. And we've all been so lucky. Nobody was any kind of real bad sickness or any kind of problem. Mm-hmm. We, we have a radio correction. Uh, did I not call Kevin? <laughs> <laughs> well, all, what you can't see on the podcast is just sitting across the room is his WS's lovely wife, who's he was just talking about, and uh, she got us caught up. That man is an attorney; he's, he's already completed that, so that's ex- congratulations, Kevin. Great name too. Um, but uh, we're going to head into a break here, Jim, right. and uh, when we come back, we will talk more with uh, WS Holland, legendary musician. And you are listening to uh, or sitting between. Almost forgot it, Jim. Sitting between the Tennessee and Mississippi rivers, you're listening to our Jackson home. We'll be right back. Jackson home with legendary rock and roll rockabilly drummer W.S. Fluke Holland. We are here in his house, and uh, I don't know. I just I'm a, I'm as giddy as a schoolgirl, Luke. 
Kevin. 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 Uh, See, I don't even remember your name in the presence of Mr. Holland but, here. Uh, speaking of names, so I keep looking around the room and I see WS, 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 WS. Mr. Holland, what does WS mean? <laughs> Actually, WS is my real name and only name. Really? And it's another weird fluke thing. <laughs> uh, when I tell people this, I, I tell them the reason, probably, that when I was born, when my mom and dad saw me, they said, you know, I don't believe he's going to be very smart, so let's give him a name that he can spell. So they named me W.S. Hall. And I didn't think a lot about it till later when I was getting a passport. Mm. When after I'd been in about up in the 60s or late 50s, I like to never got a passport because of just WS. Everybody mm-hmm. thinks it's initial. Yeah. But it's not. There are no, no periods. periods not those, supposed yeah. to be. So I finally had to send them a birth certificate and all that kind of stuff. Mm. Finally got a passport. So that's another weird thing. Yeah. WS. And they were right. It's easy to spell. Uh, <laughs> that it is. <laughs> WS, you uh, you've, you guys have chosen to stay in Jackson. Why? Why? I mean, I feel like you could have moved to Nashville or New York or Chicago or why, or Memphis even. Why did y'all stay here? Well, one reason I think probably I didn't realize it all that much then, but now I'm glad we did because of all the places I've been ar- around the world mm-hmm. several times, I don't think there's another place as great as Jackson and Bemis, Tennessee. Well, amen. Uh, of course, that's because of the people. Mm-hmm. The buildings are about all the same all over the world, mm-hmm. but the people. And I've been so lucky. Uh, in 1960, though, I was going to retire. Okay. I figured it was all over. Mm-hmm. And I, like we talked about when I met Joyce, and we got married, and just before I had time to retire, I got a call from Johnny Cash. Mm-hmm. We'd met in 1955, and we'd played a lot of shows together all over the country when I was with Carl. Mm -hmm. And he called, and he wanted me to go with him for two weeks. Had a big engagement up in New York. Mm -hmm. And he thought maybe he needed more noise, and he'd heard me play, and he knew I could make a lot of noise. So I went with him for two weeks, and those two weeks lasted almost 40 years. (laughs) And then in 97, I was going to retire again mm-hmm. and met Ron Haney. Mm-hmm. And he wanted me to keep playing and start a band. So we're still at it, just about as much as we ever was. Yeah. Um, so where could we, uh, where can we learn more about your current band? What? Or where can we hear more about your current band? What Ron wanted me to do, it's kind of funny how it started. He wanted to start a band, and <laughs> I knew Ron, and I knew Jimmy Reese and Alan Wheeler, who was three of the greatest in the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I said, man, what would we call a band with you guys in it, good as you are? <laughs> they said, we'll call it the W.S. Holland Band. <laughs> and I, I said, you mean you guys would let me be in a band with y'all and call it the W.S. Holland Band? <laughs> so that's what we do, and it's really worked great. We, we've we uh, made a couple of uh, CDs, and we're in a, in a process of making uh, some documentaries and several things and just touring wherever they'll let us play. 
That's awesome. Um, do you guys? Uh, one of the things that I like to talk to you about, and, and do you guys play at the Rockabilly Hall of Fame? Are you involved with the Rockabilly Hall of Fame? I'm, I'm not involved with the Rockabilly Hall of Fame anymore. I, I, I wish I was because it's a great thing, and I, I would like to see it continue and just be one of the the biggest shows in the country. Mm-hmm. That to have a Rockabilly Festival here and people coming in from all over the country oh, yeah. over the world. would would really be great. And you you never know, uh, maybe I might manage to to get back with it and help do some things. <laughs> What I really like about this old time period, because uh, I did a lot of research in the rockabilly era, and a lot of musicians nowadays, they're so worried about, do they have the right things in their contracts? Do they got the right food and drink in the dressing room? Are all, all, all their comfort needs met? But these guys, they were the real road dogs. They were out there almost every night, not knowing if they'd make enough money get, to get to the next location, <laughs> if they'd get stiffed on, a, on their gig money. If something would happen or they get injured, their instruments stolen, that's the real touring guys, Kevin. Yeah. Well, it, it, it's, it's <laughs> to, to hear somebody ask, to say something like you did then, it, it, it makes me have a thought of things that happened back years ago. Mm-hmm. And, and I tell one of, the, one of the reasons that I decided to get in the music business and stay in the music business instead of being an air conditioner technician is a thing that happened on one of our very first shows and this was in 1955 and I was still working with uh, S.M. Lawrence Company here and <clears throat> in 55 here come the rest of the Sun group or the most of them see in 54 it was just Elvis and Carl Mm-hmm. And, and Elvis and Scott and Bill started at the end of the year. I mean, the begin the middle of the year mm-hmm. in about uh, July, I think. Then at the end of the year, we went over and and did the first record, an old song called Movie Mag. And here in 55, here come Johnny Cash, Roy Orbison, the whole, uh, the, the big group, about 10 or 15 pe- people on Sun. And Sam and Bob Neal started a uh, booking agent called Stars Incorporated, booking us all together all over the country. That's where we all met in 55. Now, one of our first shows was in Helena, Arkansas. And we was in my, still in my car. Mm-hmm. And then you had to go to Memphis and drive down the other side of the Mississippi River. That bridge wasn't there. It's in Helena now. So we go down to Helena, out in the middle of the ball field. <clears throat> a big show at that time. Chet Atkins was on it. Iron Charlie and Logan Brothers. Jim Ed, Maxine, Bonnie Brown, and us. And we played the show. And we came back to West Memphis, stopped to get us uh, gas up. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and get us a sandwich. And... Uh, counted our money and we counted our money and I had more money to work that night than I make the whole week working on our air conditioners <laughs> see we were splitting the money four ways and we counted that money and I said boys look here what's happened I said I done got off work at noon today we done drove down to Mississippi here we are back to West Memphis 
I've counted my money. Now, two different girls asked me to stay and have a party. <laughs> and we've counted our money and made more than I make all week working on air conditioners and never is a lady asked me to stay and have a party with her. <laughs> so you guys can do what you want to do. I'm going to play in a band the rest of my life. <laughs> the juice was definitely worth the squeeze of the berry, wasn't it? <laughs> um, so one of the interesting things I feel, and I could be, I might just be making this up, but it feels like the drummer is almost like an offensive lineman in a band. You know, it wouldn't happen without the drummer, but they don't always get all the glory. Well, it's funny you mentioned that. I saw a cartoon the other day, and whoever did the cartoon had to be a drummer because he, he mentioned all that. Man, what would all these real great guitar players and keyboard players and horn players and all these players do if it had to have been for us old drummers that does all the work, we keep the beat going, we load the van, we unload the van, we furnish the van. How would all these great musicians made it without us drummers? <laughs> so, so. And outside of the piano player, you have the heaviest instrument. So yeah. you have a lot to load in and out. Yeah. It's, it's funny now, I, I, I say that a lot. Wherever we go, I set the drums up and tear them down and I I kind of fuss at Ron and the guys every once in a while. So, man, I spent the last 40 years in the music business playing with people, and I never had to pick up a drum. <laughs> Didn't, and here I am working with you guys, and i got to still carry my drums. I might quit one of these days. <laughs> then, I make a, roadie. then I make a joke out of it. I said, man, if I had it do over, I'd played harmonica. <laughs> that would be a, a much lighter instrument yeah. to carry. Thank you for listening to part one of our interview with rock and roll legend W.S. Holland. And remember to keep checking www.ourjacksonhome.com and our Facebook page to hear part two in the days ahead. Today's show was hosted by Kevin Adelsberger and Jim Wilhelm. It was produced and edited by Jim Wilhelm. Bumper music supplied by Aaron Harden. And for more information on Our Jackson Home, or to suggest podcast guests or story ideas, visit us at www.ourjacksonhome.com.